Kia ora and welcome to Circuit Cast. My name is Moya Lawson and today we're in conversation with two artists, Martin Awa Clark Langdon of Waikato Tainui, Nati Fa Fakia, Nati Hikairo and Kai Tahu descent, and Tanya Te Miringa Te Rorarangi Ruka of Ngāpui, Nati Pako and Waitaha descent. Both of you are exhibiting public art projects in Wellington inspired by Matariki. Now showing in the Courtney Place light boxes is Martin's installation To Turn Night Into Day, a series of large photographic works which consider what Matariki means to a descendant of Tupuna gardeners, star navigators, innovators and caregivers. And then opening on the 1st of July on Mason's Green is a single channel video by Tanya called Kohatu Tipua, which can be translated as Supernatural Stones a work which is both an acknowledgement of ancestral migration, the recent global pandemic, and a prompt to consider the future. First of all, Martin, welcome to the podcast here in Wellington. Kia ora. Thanks for having me. No worries. And Tanya, thanks so much for joining us today from Murawai via Zoom. Kia ora. Thank you. So a question for you both. Could you tell us about the importance of Matariki in your practice? And maybe, Martin, we can start with you. Matariki has an important place in my practice in that it comes from a te ao Māori, mātauranga Māori perspective of how we see the world. And in my practice, it's always been my goal to acknowledge my whakapapa, which is both Māori and Pākehā, and therefore that intertwining of uh, different knowledge systems and different ways of approaching and connecting with the world around us. And Matariki is kind of one of those times of year where on a national landscape now that we have non-Māori and Māori engaging with this concept of Matariki and what it means to think of it as the Māori New Year, which is, is kind of a loose interpretation of what it is, but it is a restarting of the Maramataka, the moon's calendars, to go into the next future with it. I know it's been talked about as like it is our winter solstice. I try to think of it in those practical senses around winter. You know, it's an awful time of year. You feel like you don't feel like getting outside and things are getting harder. That to put a, a beacon of hope in the middle of that winter was a way to, to pick up the energies to continue moving forward into this this upcoming, you know, warmer weathers as we keep moving forward. So I think for me, it's a good opportunity to take stock of where I'm at, where, where I'm going for the rest of the Gregorian calendar year, but also like reflect on those people who have made the current time happen and, and my, my whānau and friends that are around me and sharing what it means to be at this time in the middle of winter and picking up each other's spirits and where, where we can go. So my practice has always done that and non-exclusively for Māori but obviously taking Māori concepts like that and, and understanding how they might be interpreted or, or pushed into various spaces. Tanya, do you want to speak to it as well? I think like Martin, I'm also looking for that light and hope within the darkness sort of scenario, especially with what's been happening globally at the moment. So I was looking to our ancestors and their wayfaring tools and how they survived during their time of winter when they'd take stock and plan forward, as Martin was saying, Mata Mataka, 
planting, also how they would look to nature for the little hints and clues because every season, every year is different. And this year we've had a huge difference, all of us globally. And so looking for ways of light within their thinking patterns that might be able to help me progress through our communities progress just by looking at those hints and clues by using the imagery of nature and the ocean and the plants and the seabirds. Great. So I think we can talk a bit about the work itself, both within the frame and then in the context in which it's being shown. So Martin, the work that you've made for the Courtney Place light boxes are huge 10-foot high photographic strips. How did the site influence the work? I think with my practice, if I get something or if, I, if I'm thinking about an idea for a, a site-specific, I'm always trying to think, how far can you push things? Or can you challenge status quo a little bit as well? Like, why are those things that way? And I, and I think, I mean, if we think about our tupuna, they were always questioning and pushing forward and testing new materials. And, you know, when, when European arrived and brought new tools, they didn't go, no, we won't use those. They're not, they're not Māori. I think the light boxes were one of those things I was like... Practically, they could be seen as just like advertising. And I try to take the sense into my art practice that some of my whanau will look at things and just be like, what is that? You know, and then other parts of my whanau will be like, oh, that's conceptually rich and like have conversations like that. And I feel like I owe it to both of my communities to be conscious of not being too smart, but also like continuing to push for other, other interpretations. Originally, I didn't propose it for Matariki, um, and, and that, that's open and honest. But actually, what I do in my practice and with Matariki, like, they go hand in hand. Whakapapa and whānau and, like, kōrero and kai and oahatanga, like, creativity, like, all of those things are inherently a part of what Matariki is. So my proposal was to try and make the light boxes more present and more active if i pass it during the day or i pass it at night maybe it looks different and question start creating questions that's where that creativity and that spark happens for me so i wanted to offer that in a public space and so to turn night into day was to consider that the light boxes at night turn on their lights what shifts what changes not just for the landscape but also for the people who might frequent it in the day or at night. Then obviously with the Matariki, we have the turning of the, the moon, the Maramataka, and we have days getting longer and thinking about light and shadow and those observances of the landscape, like you said, Tanya, that, that's those key parts that are coming into how I would develop my concept. So what I did was approach some of the light boxes to be like personal responses and ways that I, I me and my final kind of just practice everyday things so there's a measuring pole that i photograph since being in wellington i've been we've been measuring our kids on this pole and it's something we all have in common we all do we all grew up doing some form of that whether it was like measuring yourself against your nana you know and being like oh i'm almost taller than your nana this idea of measure and this idea of like growth and taking stock was really embedded in putting that photograph in place that's a private kind of thing we do and then opposite that on another light box was a to scale chart that you could stand next to and see how tall you were mm-hmm. you know as, as simple as that it's bringing the private into public and also finding that commonality between the way we practice that lens of whether it's a, a maori practicing it or a non-maori like 
we have different interpretations after the fact, but it's really lovely to think about those practices and what I could instigate for people to do in a public space. So some works are kind of like, you know, stand next to it. You know, if you're on a Tinder date, they said they're six foot two, like make them stand next to it. Maybe they're five nine, you know, like, so uh, I really love, there was a moment a kid was going, mom, 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 I want to measure myself. And then mom's like, no, we'll do it tomorrow. And so obviously they've done it a few times. And I was like, well, that's a built up practice. And this this idea of tradition or practice is, is repetition, right? And our tūpuna was super observational scientists. They, they observed yeah. when that thing came up, this thing occurred. The only way to test it out was to wait till next year. And the only way to keep that corridor alive is to record it. So I, I really love empowering our people to understand all those things that maybe in Western society that we value in terms of scientists and gardeners and all those things. It's like, we were those things too. Yeah. Yeah, that's where the work stems from. And there's lots of materials in there that draw out multiple histories. So for me, there's carpet that's from my urban, what I call my urban marae, because my grandfather's house in Pakuranga was the house we went to. Every Friday, you know, um, if you lost your home or you were in between, that's the house you stayed at. Like That was our marae growing up. And the carpet in there was such a distinctive feature, mm-hmm. it became like our cool fi People knew the house for the carpet, it's the same way that I would reflect on people knowing a, a whare tūpuna or a whare based on the things that it has adorning it. So using Axminster carpet that, you know, it's made in England, but it's patterns from uh, Turkey. The thing that I apply to it in terms of my connections are really important, but other people find those connections too. Like, oh, grandma's got a carpet like that or wallpaper like that. And that's what I wanted. That's what this time of year was for. Like reflecting on our tupuna, reflecting on people, reflecting on things around us. So, And that site is so important in terms of how people move through yeah. it and how the artist applies that dynamic is so pivotal. So. I don't want us to be sheep, but like, <laughs> yeah. I wanted the light boxes. Like, I mean, some are flipped upside down, that inversion mm-hmm. that, you know, we have shared. I've heard conversations where I'm going, it's actually done the right thing, where someone's gone... Have they hung it upside down? Like, is that in the wrong place? But actually what that does, because it's happening twice, it must be intentional. And then that's like, well, it can't be advertising now. Or I think we have a lot of assumptions that people see those as artworks, where some community do not see those as artworks. They just think, like, why is this weird stuff in here? Tanya, we'll move to you. So the focus of your piece, and you were just talking about it, is this Gannett colony that spans from Motutara Island to Otaka Middle Point. Do you want to tell us about the place that you're representing and maybe how you want the work to function in its eventual showing next month? We're just on the sort of boundary line of Muriwai Regional Park and it's a very popular West Auckland beach, especially during the summertime. There's this group of rather boisterous gannets that come once a year to nest and they fly all the way over from Australia. So I wondered this year if there was a, would be an issue because of the big storm clouds that came over. I don't think you guys had it, but it sort of turned the light around here yellow. It was really frightening. So I wanted to represent the birds in this work because of their importance, you know, that idea of migrating and, of course, relating back to the wayfaring ancestors. So I was looking at the ocean 
and their point from that sort of idea of that's their incoming and their outgoing and this is their home because also this was actually the place of one of the biggest ha on the west coast I think it was and the land was really fertile so it was fought up after quite a quite a lot there were a lot of skirmishes going down so there's a lot of history here that's unseen also just to the left there was a huge quarry and they were taking a lot of volcanic stone out of it and there's huge sort of gashes in the cliff side and you also see all that that time passing through the cliff face so um there's sort of little moments of that in the video clips with the cliff face that eventual supernatural stone which is the unseen history and i was thinking how can i represent what's seen here which is beautiful landscape ocean nice bit of scenery seabirds yep how can i represent the sort of unseen moments in that history that's where the abstraction came from and the weaving the digital weaving of the video imagery so you'll see the small bits of the landscape and then following straight after will be the woven landscape so i've used the same sort of techniques that we use in harakeki weaving which is the mirror and the abstraction and those sort of triangle lines that come together which are storylines for specific tribal storylines and created what i hope to be was sort of like a little weaving and storyline of the gannets and their little home space their path and to bring that to the wellington space and just show that these birds and creatures and nature is still going they're still following their flight paths even though they've been really disturbed by humanity and what's going on but they still continue on on their annual journeys sound is is quite an important feature of of the work i felt personally that it accentuated the refractions and mirrorings that you were creating with these sounds of cicadas and children's voices was there anything you were kind of deliberately trying to capture with that in parallel with the actual image with the cicadas there another creature that were observed within the planting seasons and i just wanted to capture that sound and the sort of rhythmic sound to it so it's like the work i was sort of alluding to it like a motete or a song poetry and it's often a lament mm-hmm. so that the natural sounds were sort of adding that rhythmic feel to it like it's the poetry or the words within it's not there's no narrative really but an unseen narrative that's there with the children running past and and it's also within the woven part because there would have been generations of children running along there throughout the history of the place. So on the subject of refraction and mirroring, that's kind of a formal connection point between these particular works that you've made. And Martin, you were kind of talking about this, you do this by often presenting versions of the same photograph opposite each other or in close proximity but at different orientations. And I'm thinking in particular of the gorgeous images of, is it you? Yeah, yeah, throwing a child up into the air, (laughs) throwing your daughter up into into the air, and then opposite it is the same image but upside down. Mm. What is it in that that you're trying to deploy or think about apart from making people take a double take? Maybe I'll ask you, like, how did it make you feel? Like, is there a feeling that it invokes? Mm. I, I mean, I walk past there 
most days now so yeah. I'm used to it but it was kind of like a world bending kind of feeling because there are two different images that you've mm-hmm. got on a beach mm-hmm. different beaches yep. and the beach is like this very flat landscape with a horizon and inverted it could be a different world mm-hmm. you know I was interested in things about like freedom and care as well like there's lots of history of you know the, the leap and um, you know histories uh, European art histories as well like the mm-hmm. photograph of the leap but mm-hmm. my daughter is at the apex of the throw and um it's actually quite high that I'm able to throw her yeah. and, and over time we've built trust so it's my wife is the photographer in that, in that instance so mm. there's the, there's the, there's the, the yeah, yeah. There's, there's the tick of approval that my wife was there so you know <laughs> it wasn't just me throwing my kids at um, but that idea of like how high it is or is she safe and then like when you flip it upside down it feels like have I let her go is she falling away from mm. me and I wanted to play with that idea of like Sometimes there is those polar conversations, but it's not as didactic as that. that some people feel frightened by, you know, like that's a scary moment. But for my daughter, when you look at her face in those images, it's exhilaration. Yeah, pure joy. You know, pure joy. Like the one when her hair's up and she's just like free, you know, free mm. as a bird, you know. And it's the landscapes are important. Actually, the one's in Carpeti and one's in Island Bay. So the idea is that landscape-wise, we're covering the rohi of uh, Te Atiawa through to um, Ngāti Tōr. So I'm conscious of those things and I can embed them in the works that I make so that I feel grounded in what I'm acknowledging. And I think when you repeat an image and invert an image, it kind of becomes representative of a broader experience, mm. right? That people can kind of connect to and be halted by. And, kind of asking is, more too, right? Like yeah. the artist by putting it in twice is maybe asking you to not see what you may have initially seen if you see it as one image. And then Tanya, you were kind of, you touched on it or you started to talk about it. You've described this particular work as a three-verse visual motea film and motea can be roughly translated as a traditionally chanted song or poem, that's right. Do you want to tell us more about your use of motete and how it kind of applies to the thinking around this work? To do a landscape, there's always a form of song or uh, karakia or, you know, when you're speaking to the landscape, my nana was always telling us, you know, if you want something from the landscape, you need to ask for it first and then most importantly, wait for the response. And generally the karakia would be sung and my nana was always a great one for singing along in a sort of poetry style, her own random ideas and thoughts to whichever plant she was talking to while she was taking a cutting. This would be generally for rongoa medicine. And if she was speaking to kawaka, she'd have a different song she'd sing to that plant than she would to a harakeke leaf or she loved speaking to the birds and hearing their messages So she was always chanting or singing with the plant and it always felt like it was a private moment between her and the plant. And so I'm referencing that idea of speaking to the landscape and asking. During this time, I also uh, made another film called Come for a Walk that's up on circuit now with my mum. It's about asking the landscape and the ocean and the birds to take the message of hope across the ocean. 
I was referencing just that idea of singing your own words to nature and asking and waiting for that response from nature. That work, Come For A Walk, is so beautiful. I love how you start watching it and it's in pure darkness and then it slowly emerges into this full-blown morning light. And I, I've noticed that in your work there is often this play between darkness and lightness. Yeah, I think with everything there's always that darkness. I know for me growing up in our Māori community there was a lot of darkness, very bad darkness, um, but there was also that light and light moments and it's during those dark moments where you have to try and remember the light moments and things you love about your community. A lot of my adult life I sort of struggled with, especially as you have kids, you come up and you think about your history and your past and when you see them struggling, going through the same sort of issues that you've had because of your ancestry or your Indigenous history and and how we're treated um, through all the sort of, through all the institutions of various sorts. You have moments where you feel anger and that darkness, and then you really have to draw on those light moments and remember the beautiful things, like my nana singing to nature. And I think that's kind of what's really important in my work, why I look at nature but think about how we interact as a community but talk through nature because that's the language or the light where I can look at it and um, feel light, literally with the light in the darkness. I always feel like within the landscape there's that ihiwehi, um, one is sort of the awe that you feel when you're looking at the landscape and things, which is the fear, and that's the fear that can be with you when you're in a situation that's not great within your own community or whatever. So, yeah. So both works are being shown in the aftermath of the COVID pandemic, which in itself has been kind of lauded as this opportunity to reset. And we've all been sort of together in our bubbles with our whānau, but we're now out and having to think about the world in a new way, potentially. Has this event made you guys reconsider your own practice? Do you want to reset? Do you need to reset? And do you think this is an opportunity for the arts community on a broader level to reset? I think going into lockdown helped us sit, listen and watch the landscape a lot more. People started noticing more birds and they were like, oh, there's way more kiru than there were. And you're like, no, you're just noticing them. Mm. You know, like you're hearing more birds. And it's like, yeah, because there's less cars. Like there's, for me, it kind of pointed out how sometimes the problem is us as humanity you know like there's some of those positive ways that we need to get back to maybe we need to do this every year maybe we need to take a month and be inside mm. you know home, you know pipiri hungama which is you know june july like maybe our tupuna had it right maybe we're made, like the more productive things we're doing are the productive uh whanau building the skill building that's with your hands, the the sharing and creating of new corridor, new songs, the song lines you talk about. Like, maybe we need to rethink the way we practice our year. That's kind of what I took from it. I don't think it changes my practice, but it definitely makes me yearn for some of the positives that came out of this. And hopefully people around the world can see that those 
take those positive nuggets and ideas and how do we embed them in our everyday practice? Why do we have to go back to what we had before? Mm. Arts, that really beautiful medium or practice in, in societies that allow us to go deeper and richer, you know? Yeah, it's a kind of, it's a kind of observation in itself. Mm. And I, I feel like both your works underline the power of observation and meditation on place and landscape and mm. harakeke, which kind of features in both your works, mm. just the, the small things. <laughs> um, do you want to answer in your own way, Tanya? I think it's, it's really good to work with this idea of reset. And a lot of us learned a lot about ourselves and, and our smaller environments by having to sit still. And the fact that we weren't racing around trying to be the other or the thing or to do the thing, but we were forced within our own small communities to stay put. I think it, it was a great learning for everyone. And um, art for me is a way to think through new ideas like our ancestors used to through observation. And as Martin was saying, you know, there were scientists and architects and adventurers. And it was a great way for me to kind of sit there and think, okay, this is where I'm at. I've been doing a lot of research with Harakeke and trying to develop new materials and looking at food security and food sources and things because for us, our Māori communities, the natural food sources, which would have sustained our bodies and minds, they're not really available anymore because the waters are polluted, the rivers are unswimmable or have been. There are so many sort of environmental issues out there occurring that it kind of takes away that secured feeling with our food. So, yeah, for me, it's just um, art is a great way to unpack those ideas and think about what I can do because as artists, you know, we can imagine and dream forward and that's actually what our wayfaring ancestors did. You know, they would vision that island further away and then plot the path of how to get there or if they didn't know how to get there, they'd visualise it and they use their inherent connection to nature to feel that way and follow those signs and things. So, And art helps me access that space and talk to people who maybe want to change the way we do things and figure out ways that we can collaborate together to work those pathways. And so I think art has a really important place to help us forge in the future with the changes that are coming, the climate, etc. I think we'll wrap it up there. But thank you so much, Tanya, for zooming into us. And thank you for coming in, Martin. Oh, thank you, guys. It's good to see you. I keep telling you again, eh? Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye.